are in a sermon series right now, if you're here for the first time. It's a sermon series called Level Up. That's the season that we're in as a church. Pastor Hyden started this sermon series two weeks ago at our, at our six-year birthday. Wasn't that an amazing celebration day? We had some amazing news to share. And, and then Pastor Hyden really kind of kicked off the meat of the series last week. And you, you may remember, if not, you can go check it out at walkchurch.com. But he preached a sermon called Level Up the Mission. Level up the mission. And so he said, he said, what we want to do is we want to go deeper right now, and we want to level up in our DNA at Walk Church. We want to level up in our mission, our vision, and our values. And so he said, if, if you were to cut Walk Church open and you were to examine the DNA, the thing that you would first see would be our mission. And he said, our mission is to free people to walk in Jesus. And that's the mission, and that comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Pastor Hyden said last week that every biblical church has the same mission. The mission is this. When Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave. He spent 40 days with his disciples. And then his last words to his disciples before he ascended to heaven was this. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says, with that knowledge, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that's the key phrase there is make disciples. That's the mission. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. He says, and behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so we know that this mission continues on today in the 21st century right here at Walk Church. And so if making disciples is the mission that Jesus gave us, we're just saying this, that the way that we interpret that in our context, in our setting, is that making disciples looks like this. It's to free people to walk in Jesus. So that yeah. is our mission. Yeah. And we, de- we define, what does it mean to level up? Here's what it means. It means um, to, to go to a higher level or to a higher standard. And that's what we want to do right now. And I love this new sign that we have up on the screen. And, and, and what we're going to do today is we're going to preach a sermon called Level Up the Vision. Level Up the Vision. And what that means for us is this. The, the vision is how we set people free to to walk in Jesus. So here's what the screen says. It says, our mission becomes our reality when people know God, find community, discover purpose, and make a difference. You probably see the signs around the room. We have these pipes and drapes. We've had them up um, as long as I've been here. And this this is the vision. This is what we want to see happen in the lives of the people who come to this church. And we say that, that someone will be set free to walk in Jesus when they're knowing God when they find community, discover purpose, and make a difference. And last week, yeah, we'll clap for that, Anthony. I'm with you. I'm with you. And we said last week that, that when somebody is set free, when somebody's saved, that's not the finish line. That's just the starting line, right? We're saved for a purpose. We're saved to walk out this mission with Jesus. We don't just walk with him into church. We walk with him all week long. Yeah. All right, and so what I want to do today is I just want to go a little bit deeper. If we open up the hood and say, well, what does what a, a disciple look like? What does it look like when someone's set free? Uh, the very first thing that we're going to see is that they know God. So that's the, the sermon today. So I've, I've titled this sermon, Level Up the Vision, specifically by knowing God. All right? And so I want to give you just a little bit of a roadmap today, what to expect. Um, today, I'm going to build a little bit of a framework on what does it mean to know God. So biblically and theologically, I want to kind of go through the Bible and I want to say this is what it looks like when somebody knows God. And then next week, Pastor Hyden is going to come in and he's going to kind of start to come in and, and fill in that framework a little bit for us with some very practical next step things and ways um, to know God. All right? Everyone with me? Yeah. Great. 
Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to begin to answer this question, what does it mean to know God, in three ways. The very first one is this. What does it mean to be a Christian? I, I define a disciple is a Christian, so this is synonymous. So what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean? The second question I want to answer is, what does it mean to know God? And the last question I want to look at today is, how can I know God? So what I want you to do is, if, if you can, go ahead and turn to John chapter 17 in your Bibles. And we're going to look at this story in John chapter 17. Jesus, this is the last night of his life, the most important night of his life. He's just taken communion with his disciples in the upper room, and now he's gone out into the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples to pray. And um, Judas has already betrayed Jesus, and Jesus, in just a matter of moments, is going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten and crucified. And this is the moment where Jesus sweats great drops of blood because he knows what he is about to face and the anxiety that he's feeling of the separation of God that he's about to experience, all right? So are, are you, if you're there in John chapter 17, go ahead and say, I'm ready. ready. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. let's eat. All right, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you again in Jesus' name. And Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to be with us now. The Holy Spirit, God, you are the one who inspired the very words that we're about to read. And so, God, we pray that you would illuminate them to us, that you would make them come alive in our hearts, God, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts so that we would be able to understand. God, as your word says, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, God, that, that we would be able to behold wondrous things from your law. We need you now, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so John chapter 17, starting in verse 1, Jesus says this. It says, when... Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And verse three, it says, and this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I love that. Jesus tells us that this is eternal life. Now let's fill in the content. Imagine that's a container. Here's the content. This is eternal life. What is it? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. By the way, I love this passage. If you get a chance, go home and read John chapter 17. This is an amazing insight into the prayer life between Jesus and the Father. John Calvin said that uh, the other Gospels, they show us the body of Jesus. They show us his works. They show us what he does. But John's Gospel shows us his soul. They sh he shows us his heart. And so I just love that we get a little insight into the very heart of Jesus right now. But remember that, that Jesus is about to be arrested. And I want to take a look at these words in verse 1 one more time. He says, glorify your son. This is the prayer. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you. And both Jesus and the Father will be glorified when Jesus goes to the cross and gives his life as a ransom for, for many. The Bible says his blood would be shed, his body would be broken for us. That's what we just did when we took communion. We were celebrating what Jesus did here on the cross, this glorification of Jesus that happened. We're celebrating that this morning. And so let's go ahead and do this. Let's answer this question. What does it mean to know God? 
What does it mean to know God? If, if we're going to become disciples and knowing God is the first thing, what does it mean to become a Christian? And the world, you, you probably are aware, has a lot of answers to this question, right? So some of them are on the screen, screen here. If you were to ask the world, what, what is a Christian? They would say, well, a Christian is someone who's from the West, right? They're from Western Europe. They're from America. They're from Canada. They're anywhere on the Western Hemisphere, that's a Christian, which, by the way, I think is a really weird thought because Christianity is an ancient Near Eastern religion, which made its way to all the way to us. N number two, they would say that you, you're a Christian by your church attendance. And I think that's wrong, too. That's wrong. Uh, th there are many people who go to church who don't know God. Right? They're not true believers. They're just checking it out. There may be some people in here today, you're checking it out. We're really glad you're here. But we pray you move beyond that. Number three, the world would define Christianity by if you're baptized. If you're baptized, you're a Christian. Well, in the same way that people can come to church on Sundays and not be a Christian, you can actually be baptized and not be a Christian. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Baptism is the right response to trust in Jesus, right? Yes. To, the yes. Baptism is the right response to believing in Jesus. That's the first thing you do. We call it the believer's first obedience, but it doesn't make you a Christian. And then the last thing, and I think this is common, uh, people say, man, I was born a Christian. What do you mean? Like, my parents, my mom and dad's a Christian. Like, I was born a Christian. I don't need to become a Christian. What do you mean? Well, no one is born a Christian. Everyone has to become a Christian on their own. Nobody's born into the family of God. I, actually, I take that back. The only time that you can ever be born into the family of God is when you're born again. Amen? Amen. That's when you're born into the family of God. You have to turn from your sin and trust in Christ and you're born again. Now notice, I just want us to notice here that Jesus has a completely different answer than the world. Look at what he says in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. My friends, that's what it means to be a Christian Right, if you were to boil Christianity down to its very essence, what is the one thing that, uh, uh, apart from everything else, what is the one thing that makes me a Christian? Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die on the cross and rise from the grave for me? Why did he come in the first place? And what is this eternal life that Jesus gives? And Jesus gives us the answer to all of these questions right here. The essence of what it means to be a Christian is that they know God. That's why it's so important for us to know God, church, because eternal life is knowing God. You know, we had, we had my charge group the other night, and we're all sitting around in my living room, and, and, uh, and we started praying. And one of the things that we were praying for is we were praying for our lost friends and family members. How many people here are praying for someone in your family or a friend who doesn't know God? They're not saved. They're not, they're not a Christian. So we were praying, and, and we just instinctively were praying these words. We said, God, I pray that, that my friend so-and-so would come to know you. God, I pray that my family member so-and-so, God, I pray that they would come to know you. And, and, and whether we realize it or not, we just instinctively pray that way because to be a Christian is somebody who knows God. <clears throat> and that's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion and every other person in the world is that they know God and that they have eternal life. Now, my friend, I just want to tell you this morning that the most important thing that you can do with your life is to come to know God, right? You have to come to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no more important decision that you will ever make in your life than that. In fact, I have a reality statement. I just want to put it up on the screen here, and here's what it says. It says, nothing, 
Everyone say nothing. nothing. Apart from knowing God has any lasting worth. Now, you may think that's an exaggeration, but I just want you to think about yourself in 100 years. <laughs> All right? I hope you have a 100-year plan. And number one on that list in 100 years, the only thing that's going to matter is whether or not you know God. You feel me? <laughs> nothing else is going to matter. You either know God or you don't. There's only two groups of people in the world. And if you know God in 100 years, you'll be happy. But if you don't, nothing else will matter. Let me just say it positively. This is a negative statement. Let me say it positively now. When all of life's non-essentials are laid aside and only the important things are left, right? Only the important things are on the table now. The one thing, everyone say one thing. One thing. The one thing that really matters is that a person knows God. I want us to take a look at a quote from J.I. Packer. Uh, J.I. Packer is arguably one of the greatest theologians of modern times. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord now. I'm going to quote from him often today. Uh, but he wrote a book called Knowing God. And I don't know if anyone in here has ever had a chance to read this book, but I, I commend it to you. Uh, it sold over a million copies, and it's just one of the best books that I know of to come to a, a knowledge of, of God. And so we're actually going to have some of these available in our merch area in the back after service. So if you would like to, go ahead and grab one of those. But here's what he says on this topic. He says, disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. It's like you're looking around the world and you're like, I don't understand why I'm here. He says, this way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Church, I don't want us to waste our life this morning or ever. I don't want us to lose our soul. We have to come to know God. Knowing God is literally a matter of life and death. Think about it. Why would Jesus have to come and give you eternal life? What does that imply? What does it imply? Someone talk to me. It means we don't have it. We're dead. It means we need it. We don't have eternal life. Let me illustrate it like this for you. Imagine if I come up to you and I have a big box of deodorant in my hand, <laughs> all right? And here's what I say. Hey, friend, my father has given me this box of deodorant and he's given me the authority to give this deodorant to anyone I want to. And friend, I'm giving it to you. <laughs> and you're like, uh, thanks. Uh, I'm not sure if I should, wait, what are you trying to say? You're like, I need it? Like, do I need this deodorant? That's... That's the point, right? Jesus came to give you eternal life because you didn't have it. If you had it, he wouldn't have to come give it to you. The Bible defines, it actually talks about it in these terms in Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, and you were, what does this word right here say? Dead. Did you realize that for all of you who know God right now, that before you knew God, you were dead? The Bible says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were just following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and you didn't even know that. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then he says, among whom we all once walked or lived in the, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. We were just doing what felt good, what we wanted, and the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath. That's not a good word. Wrath means anger. It means that the wrath of God, it was abiding on us. It was, if we were to die in our sins, we would have experienced the wrath of God. 
And check it out. He just says, just like the rest of mankind, the world by nature doesn't know God. The world, when they're born, they're not born with an intimate, saving knowledge of God. Look what has to happen, verse 4. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do for us? He made us alive together with Christ. He says, by grace you have been saved. Do you guys know what grace is? Grace is when somebody gives you a good gift that you don't deserve. You didn't deserve eternal life. You didn't earn eternal life. But God gave you that good gift anyway. That's what grace is. Yeah, thank God for his grace. And check this out. Jesus says that unless you are born from above, right? That's what it means to be born again. You have new spiritual life given to you by God. It's a gift. He says unless you're born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Not only, you, not only will you not be able to see, but you can't enter it. That's what he says in John chapter 3. But it was just interesting um, because I, I like the way uh, C.S. Lewis, he just says this. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Amen. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like before you come to a knowledge of God, there's, there's a whole world that's out there that you aren't aware of. You can't see it. I was talking with a friend the other day, and he said, he said Pastor Mike, it's so crazy. He goes, he goes, I was scrolling through my phone, and a Facebook memory popped up from two years ago. He says, and the person who wrote the words that I was reading, I didn't even recognize. He goes, there was such depression and hopelessness and no direction in my life. And he says, I didn't even know that it was possible to live in the world that I live in today. He said, the whole, my world is different. I have a saving knowledge of God. I've come to faith in Jesus Christ, and now I have hope. The depression that I had back then, he says, it's, it's gone. I have hope now. I have purpose in my life. And then another sister goes like this, that's my story. She goes, I used to always wear dark clothes all the time, and now you should see my closet. It's got bright colors everywhere. In fact, orange is my favorite color. And then another brother said, me too. (laughs) Orange is my favorite color too. Listen, it changes the way you see. There's a world that exists that you didn't know about. I just want to stop right here and encourage anyone who doesn't even know that that world exists. Maybe you're here today and you don't know God. I just want to encourage you with this, that I'm going to tell you how to come to a knowledge of God before the sermon is over, all right? But before I do that, I just want to talk about what the Bible means when it talks about knowing God, right? This doesn't help us if we don't know what knowing God means. And so let's answer this question. What does it mean to know God? Let me just start by saying this. There's a difference between knowing about someone and a difference between actually knowing someone, right? You can read biographies about a person. You can read every article that's written. You can, you can know everything about that person, but, I mean, that, that person could even walk into the room and you would recognize that person, but they, they wouldn't necessarily recognize you, right? And if you really want to get to know somebody, not just know about them, then there, there's a requirement, and the requirement is this, is that they're willing to get to know you right? They have, to, they have to do this. They have to open up their heart to you, and then you have to open up yourself to them, and there has to be this mutual exchange for you to really know someone. You know, I, I meet people sometimes, and, and I want to get to know them, and I'm talking to them, and, 
and they just don't open up. It's, you can just sense that it's just on the surface. You know, and, and, and to really know someone, they have to open up to you. There's actually a mutual sharing and getting to know each other. And to really know someone is to know them intimately. And that's the way that the Bible uses this word know. Did you realize that? When the Bible uses the word know, it's talking about intimately knowing someone. In fact, the very first place in the Bible where this word know appears is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And here's what it says. Maybe you remember reading this when you were a kid. Maybe you remember blushing when you read it for the first time. It says, and Adam, I'm sorry, it's in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. And see, there was this intimate knowing between Adam and his wife. And that's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the word know. To know God, it implies a personal, intimate knowledge of God. Hey, have you guys been doing your daily Bible reading with us? We, we read a, a proverb a day, and today is October the 3rd, and guess what the proverb of, of the day is? Three. Chapter 3. And I, I love this. It says this. I just, just happened to come across it today. Pastor Hyden texted me. He's like, hey, make sure this is in the sermon. <laughs> he was all excited. <laughs> One of our favorite scriptures, right? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways... Know him. Yeah. Know him. And he will make your paths straight. Do you guys realize that to know someone, you know what they would do in a certain situation? Like my wife and I, like we, we already know what we're thinking. I know what she would do. She already knows what I'm going to do. She probably doesn't approve most of the time, but she knows. Like we can know God's ways. And the promise is that when we do that, that he'll make our paths straight. Now, I just want to say this. There, there is a difference, right? You guys, you guys on the same page with me here? There's a difference between having a rational knowledge that honey is sweet and then actually have a sense that it's sweet by tasting it, right? Th th I can have a knowledge that crumble cookies are good, right? But it's a different thing altogether for me to sink my teeth into one of those chocolate chip cookies, right? It's one thing for me to know that chicken from Chick-fil-A is good, right? They have good quality product, and it's popular. I, I know that. But it's another thing for me to open up a little packet of Chick-fil-A sauce and put it on a spicy chicken sandwich and smash it together and then take a bite of that thing. It's like, I, I know that that thing's good. Why? Because I tasted it. Bianca cooks these cheesecakes, and, like, I know those things are good. Hey, if you don't know, if you don't know, you got to know. You know what I'm saying? Morning Glory Coffee. I know that stuff is good. I tasted it. The, the, yeah, the, the pumpkin oat milk stuff. And the horchata. That stuff is so good. But did you realize that that's the way that the Bible invites us to know God? Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It actually goes like this. Oh! Taste and see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's so good. There's an excitement there. It's like, oh, I've tasted it. Oh, I want you to taste it too. Taste it and see. And some of you guys know that I teach a theology class at the office on, on Tuesday nights. Some people are here. And you know what? We, we've been learning about God. We're, we're going through systematic theology. We're studying the Bible in an organized way. And so we've gone through the doctrine of God's word. We've, do, we've gone through the doctrine of God, which is theology proper. It's just we're studying God. We studied the doctrine of creation last week, and we're learning a lot about God. 
but from the outset, I've been crystal clear on what the expectation is. Listen, if we stop at learning about God, then we've completely missed the point. If we're learning about God, we're supposed to take that knowledge about God and we're supposed to apply it to our own lives and let it sink into our own hearts and let it move us to prayer and adoration and praise to God. That's what it means to know God. We're taking this class not so we can be smarter about the Bible, but because we can know God better through his word. I like this quote from J.I. Packer. He says this, How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It's not easy. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into a matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. All right, everything that we learn about God, every truth that we learn about God should move us to praise toward God. Well, if knowing God personally is the goal, then let's go ahead and answer the question, how can a person know God? And when I ask that question, I want you to hear it like this. How can a person know God? How can a person know God? Listen, this isn't your friend at the gym. This isn't your boss at work. This is not even the president of the United States that we're talking about here. This is God that we're talking about. How are you going to come to a personal knowledge of God? Listen, the Bible says that God dwells in unapproachable light. Do you know what unapproachable means? It means you can't get there. Right? The, the Bible says that God is high and holy. He says, my name is holy. The word holy, it means separate. It means set apart. It means that he's unique, that he's transcendent. In some ways, it means that he's unknowable. So how are we going to ever get to know God? Listen, if I want to invite a coworker to my house to get to know them, I, I, I pray that they would come over. We'll have a barbecue. We'll watch some football. Right, and, and maybe that person will open up to me and maybe they won't. But if it's true that a person, an ordinary person, has to open up to us in order for us to know God, how much more true of it is it of God? And if you add to that our sinful nature and if you add to that all of our rebellion and God's holiness and the fact that God is transcendent, How much more true of it is that God himself would have to open up to us. Listen, if we cannot approach God, if we can't reach God, if if man by his own nature cannot know God, then we are never going to know God until God stoops down and makes himself known to us. And the best news in the world is that God's heart is wide open to you. The glory and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God has stepped down in the person of Jesus Christ in order to make God known. And though God is infinite, though God is transcendent and holy, God has made himself known to us. And there's a couple different ways in which God has made himself known. Number one, he's made himself known through creation. We can know something of God by looking at the world that he made, can we not? Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Night after night, they pour forth speech. Listen, the heavens are speaking to us. And what are they saying? They're saying that God is great. God is glorious. Look at the glory of the heavens that he made. Look at the power of the sun. How much power does the sun put out in order to heat this earth? How powerful must God be in order to create the sun and the stars? 
We can know something of the majesty and the beauty of God by looking at the mountains that he made. We can know something of the beauty of God when we look at the sunset or we look at a beautiful flower and we look at creation all around us. We're saying, this says something great about God. God is greater than his creation, right? An architect is greater than the builder, the one who designed it. God is great. But listen, church, I can tell you this. You will never know by looking at the mountains that your sins are able to be forgiven. You'll never know by looking at the stars that God wants to adopt you into his family and he wants to be your father and he wants you to be his son or daughter. If you want to know him personally and you want to know him savingly, then you have to know him where he has chosen to reveal himself in that way. And where is that? Of course, there's only one place in the universe where God has supremely chosen to, be, uh, to make himself known. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now check this out. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the radiance of God's glory. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen, when you look at Jesus Christ, you know what you see? You see the radiance of God's glory. You see the exact imprint of his nature. The Bible says that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to know God savingly, if you want to know God, if you want to be a disciple, you know God through his son. Here's a reality statement. When man desires to know God, the finger of God points to his son, Jesus Christ. God, I want to know you. He says, look at my son. If you want to know God, you must know God through his son. Do you know what God is like? What is Jesus like? Do you know what God is passionate about? What is Jesus passionate about? Do you know what God's heart is like? What is Jesus' heart like? Look at the words and the works of Jesus in the Bible. Do you know what you will see there? You'll see the works and words of God. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, he says that he only does what he sees his father do. He only does what he sees his father do. And then in John chapter 12, verses 49 through 50, these are the last words before the, supper, before the last supper, the last words before the communion that we shared today. Here's what he says. He says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, give, has himself given me a commandment. What's that commandment, Jesus? Well, it's what to say and what to speak. He says, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. That's what we're talking about here. What is eternal life? It's to know God. So when Jesus speaks, he's speaking the very words of God. He says, what I say, therefore I say as the Father has told me. Do you see, if you're ever going to come to know God, it will be in the place where he has revealed himself. It will be through his son. Let me just conclude here now this morning by giving us some direction. I know that there are two groups of people in the room here today. Listen, that's true of any room, by the way. There's only two groups of people in the world. It's those who know God and those who do not know God. So let me just first address the people in the room who know God. There are many of us in the room who know God, right? 
I would just say this to you. This is a level up season, right? That's, that's the sermon series that we're in. We're leveling up. It means that we're getting better. We're, we're going deeper in our knowledge of God now. You guys remember the apostle Peter? Peter wrote two letters, and the last letter that he wrote is 2 Peter. The last chapter is chapter 3. The very last verse is verse 18. The very last thing that Peter said that we have recorded for us in the Bible is this. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you know God today, did you know that you can grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ? To grow means this. It just means to become larger or greater over a period of time. It means to increase. Over a period of time, you can increase your knowledge of God. That's the beauty of the Christian life. That's why getting saved is not the finish line. It's the starting line. We're going to grow in our knowledge of God. Right? And he says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so here, here are just a couple ways that you can grow in your knowledge of God. And again, Pastor Hyden is going to come back next week, and he's going to fill in a lot of these details for us. But just to get us started this week, um, remember, anytime you get to know someone, there's a, it's two-way communication. Both parties have to open up in order to really know each other. And so one of the things that we want to do is we want God to speak to us. And God has spoken to us through his word. And so we can open up our Bibles. I would just suggest to you that this week you should open up to John chapter 1 and just start reading the book of John. And when you read it, don't read it to get through it, but read it slowly. Read it to allow God to speak to you. Read it in a way that causes you to respond to God in worship and to pray. Read it in a way where you can apply it to your life. I would say meditate on it. What, what does the word meditate mean? Right? It doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean what you see on TV, right? Here's what you see on TV. You see, you see a lady sitting Indian style at the end of a dock, and there's a lake, and she's at the very end, and the sun is setting, and she's got her legs crossed, and she's got her fingers like this, and she's got her eyes closed, and she's contemplating her navel. or what. She's, thinking, she's literally thinking about nothing, right? That's what it means to meditate in the world, in the culture that we live in. Biblical meditation is exactly the opposite of that. To, be, to meditate on God's word, it means literally to engage your mind. I was, t I was telling the people in my charge group about this, but in, in Psalm 1 it says, blessed is the man, right? He, on his law he meditates day and night. This word meditate in the Hebrew, it, it actually means, it's the same word that they would use to say that a cow is chewing the cud, right? Or, or to say that a, that a cat is purring. Don't make me purr <laughs> up here. But you, you, guys, you, guys got, you guys got it, right? So here, here's what it is. You're meditating on God's word and you're kind of saying it under your breath. Blessed is the man who walks not in the council of the wicked and stands in the path of doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the love of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted like the streams of living water. Right? So it's like you, you, you're, you're meditating on God's word. So you, not only are you reading God's word now, but you're meditating. You're thinking about it. You're engaging your mind and you're talking about it. You're even praying it under your breath to God. And then I would say spend time in prayer. Right? That's, that, now we're talking to God. God has talked to us. He's spoken to us. Now we're speaking back to God through prayer. We're saying, God, you're so great. God, thank you for saving us. God, thank you for sending Jesus, the word made flesh. God, thank you for who you are. God, help me with my family. Help me with this. I want to I wanna live a life that's pleasing in your sight. Help me to do this better. Help me to do that. God, I want to get the sin out of my life. God, I pray for my friend. I pray that someone comes to know you. You know, pray. And I would just say another easy way is you can, just, you can get this book on the way out, this Knowing God book, and you can start reading it this week. Amen? You with me? Yeah. Cool. Now, let me just, for a moment, let me just address the other group of people in the room. I'm well aware that there are people in this room that don't know God. Again, we're glad you're here. But we started the sermon just by saying that this is the important, most important decision that you can possibly make 
in your life. But I just want to acknowledge that it's somewhat of a paradox, right? Because what I'm saying is that you have to decide. You have to make a decision and come to know God through his son. And yet at the same time, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus says, no one knows the father except the son. And anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And so I'm saying that you have to decide. But I'm also saying that Jesus has to choose to reveal him to you. But I just want to say this good news, that Jesus is willing. I want you to know that he's here in the room today. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. He's here. But not only is he here, he's willing. John chapter 6, verse 37, it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. I love John 17, where we started, Jesus, Jesus said, God, you've given me, Father, you've given me, given me authority to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. There's this idea that the Father is giving a people to Jesus. And he says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And then he says, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's the all, that's all the, all the people, the total but then there's the whoever. When you read this in the original language, it's literally the one. The one who comes to me. Maybe that's you, maybe, maybe that's you today, you're the one. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I have no right to come to God, I am sinful. I have so much guilt in my life, there's no way that God could ever accept me. I don't have the right to come. And you don't have the right to come except that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin, to take away your guilt, to give you the right to come and ask Jesus to introduce you to the Father. And the promise is this, he says, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. When you read this in the original language, the construction on this word never is the strongest possible way to say that something will never ever happen. Jesus is saying, the one who comes to me I will by no means never, ever, absolutely ever, never cast you away. Amen. Jesus is willing. He's willing, but you have to come to him. You have to make the decision and come to Jesus. And the Bible's promise, Jesus has promised himself, is that I will never cast you out. We took communion this morning, and that's, that's what makes Jesus able to make that promise to you. The price has already been paid. His blood has already been shed. His body has already been broken. And so I just want to do this right now. I just want to ask everyone in the room to bow your heads, please. And, and I just want to lead you, if this is you, if you don't know God, I just want to lead you in a prayer right, right now to come to know him. So you can say it out loud or you can say it silently, but just repeat after me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinful person. God, I know that if you were to give me what I deserve, that I would suffer your wrath. I have no right to come to you. But God, I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. God, he died the death that I deserve to die. And God, now and in exchange, I get the life that he has. God, please forgive me for my sins. 
I trust in Jesus. And God, I want to know you through your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.